don't know what to say about you. Me? I am a, a disabled paramedic um, who got epilepsy. They said it was going to go right away, and it never did. So I went straight to depression, anxiety, drug abuse, and self-harm. And I'm doing pretty hot right now. You know, normally I'd revert back and I would go ahead and say that, but instead I'm just going to say, welcome to the third episode of Adapt Overcome, a podcast where I sit down and have unscripted conversations with guests who've all overcome some form of measurable life challenge in the hopes that the details of their challenges will help other people overcome whatever they may be going through. My guest today is Nicole, and you just heard a lot more about her than we would have normally started with, but I figured that was a great opportunity to jump right in. Well done. Tell us a little bit about Thank your you. life. Before all of that happened, like, who are you? I was born in Fort Lauderdale. Um, Sorry. Sincerely. Uh, my <laughs> first memory to life, which I don't find, or I find a ton of irony in, is that uh, Hurricane Andrew. The, the foundation of the rest of my life memories are Hurricane Andrew coming through the night and my little sister crying and uh, them grabbing us from our beds and putting us on the couch. And I was freaking out. It's like two and a half, three years old, and I remember my dad picking me up and doing the most like unsafe thing in the world. We went in front of the sliding glass door that was happily duct taped. <laughs> and he was telling me how cool it was. His name was Andrew. He's only gonna be there for a little bit. And me and him just rocked that storm out right there. And the next day, not understanding the, the destruction and damage that was caused by it, uh, all of us kids were playing in the trees that were knocked over because that was our new playground and made this totally happy dance on this devastating event. And uh, that's how it started. Then after that, we moved to Port Orange when I was six. Been here since then, Daytona girl. Um, that's pretty much the intro. So what kind of things do you enjoy doing with your life? Like, you know, aside from the topic that we're going to touch on, what thrills you? What makes you happy? I think from an early age, I think from the time we got to Port Orange, I wanted to be the leader of all my newfound friends and not necessarily the troublemaker, but I was going to, you know, form that trouble to a better extent, maybe. You're the ringleader. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> um... And everything was great in elementary school. It was awesome. I was on top of it. I, I always had like a sense of I wanted to be with adults all the time. I had to be the most annoying child to be around adults because I always wanted to sit at their table and listen to everything that they said. Um, you probably had an opinion about everything Everything, said. everything. And I was dying to get to the age where I could say it. <laughs> or I would say it and die and wait for the age that was respected. Um safety patrol that craziness like i was gonna rock middle school and then i got to middle school and it was different <laughs> I, I i sympathize <laughs> with that but uh, i was uh i was taken out of school in the middle of second grade for mm -hmm. homeschooling because my parents felt like they could teach me better than the school was for the most part they were correct a couple years down the line though it was apparently a good idea to put me back in in sixth grade and everything oh was God. different that's crazy. Everybody was different. That's where I learned to swear. That's, that's where that's I got in fights. Hormones, sex drives, craziness, and curiosity comes out. Sex drive wasn't even the problem. The problem was, is I was the small kid. Everybody else seemed to be suddenly bigger than me. Everybody else was meaner than me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a... 
I, I definitely put a mark on my back in middle school because right off the bat, the, the preppy little cheerleader girls, I wasn't going to let them beat up on anybody that was disabled or slower or Asperger. Like, I, I didn't tolerate bullies. Right. So when I started standing up to them, now I've got, like, two groups of bullies coming after me. And that went on for, like, the next three years. And that was probably my first bout of depression or my intro to depression. Okay. Um... I remember getting notes of 50 reasons why I should kill myself. Jesus. I remember getting notes from boys that I've been crushing on forever that they never wrote. It was the girls sending them to me. So I'd go up and I got your note. The answer is yes. And them all hysterically laughing in the lunchroom. Um, you can't dress right. You're too fat. In the midst of that, I was definitely gaining weight because my, my serenity was just going home and eating everything. Um, I got a nice little intro to a swirly <laughs> in the seventh grade bathroom. Um, and I would tell at, at that point I was kind of the, uh, growing to be or aspiring punk rocker. So I didn't dress like the rest. I looked like the troublemaker before I actually truly was. So you were the odd woman out right I was off the bat anyway. anyway. Yeah. So when I went up and complained about how these nice dressed cute girls are picking on me, it was not taken seriously at all. Um, eighth grade, I got suspended from school for two or three weeks for taking a handful of Zoloft because the bullying had gotten so crazy and so out of hope. I couldn't talk to anybody about it. Any guidance counselor I went to, I actually just ran into one of them and I wanted to let them know about that. Um, the help wasn't there. It wasn't as easy as all the self-help books make it out to be. Um, so when I got out of, uh, eighth grade, I decided I was making a change. The summer in between eighth and ninth grade, I went to the Y every day. I started yoga. I started like, I had to fix it. I cut off all my friends. Like we're gonna, we're gonna figure this out. Start all over again. Absolutely. And I did. And, uh, high school, I did all of my work, everything else. I partied as much as I wanted to. That was the beginning of my party years. That was fun. Um, and then when I was 16, I started working. So that gave me access to the adult world I already wanted, probably too young. Um, and it just kind of carried on from there. But my whole goal all the way through high school, like I never dated anybody in high school. Um, I was much more interested in the adults around me out of school or from different schools at my workplace, whatever. Um, and I, I was just fully charged. I graduated early. The last six months of my school year, I had an office in the guidance uh, office. My own personal thing to drug counsel kids that had tried to overdose or anything from no my, shit. my Silver Sands experience. Um, yeah, so that was, we only had four classes. Three of those classes for me was in the guidance office. And uh, that was awesome. So when I got out, graduated early, I started EMT school right away. I knew that I was really good at responding to chaos. Like chaos, I could rock chaos. Um, boredom probably leads me to the worst decisions of my life, but chaos, I, I'm the straight thinker. This is what we have to do, how we're gonna do it, everything's all right. 
Um, I absolutely knew I wanted to, I wanted to eventually get to nursing, but I was going to start with EMT paramedic, fire paramedic. Um, and that was all working out. I was working while going to school and trying to get all those degrees and was at Walmart at night. I had a Victoria's Secret and Wilson's leather job during the day. And the only one guy that I had ever seen in high school that I kind of liked was around. And I was like, hey, she looked good. What's your number, darling? <laughs> um, my life is just beginning. Like, I'm ready to rock this. You want to go on a date? <laughs> like, How rare to be approached by a woman. Oh, and I had no confidence at that point to like, or not no confidence, but just that was bold for even something for a bold person like myself to do. Um, and he was like, yeah, absolutely. And for like the next two weeks, we were, I got off work at Walmart, I'd go to his house, we'd take naps, and then we'd spend the day traveling or hiking or beaching, whatever. He had epilepsy. Um, and he was very sad about his epilepsy because he knew that he caused his epilepsy. Um, How did he cause it? So epilepsy, I guess I should start with this. Epilepsy is when you have seizures, multiple, two or more seizures unprovoked. Okay. There's nothing to actually provoke the seizures. They just happen. So just because you have 50 seizures does not mean you have epilepsy. Right. Um, he didn't have epilepsy. He had drug-induced epilepsy. He had done cocaine in high school, had stopped doing it, but the seizures still happened. Um, and I was okay with that. What, I'm a paramedic student. Like, let's take care of this. And right. You're a sweet guy. And uh, so about two weeks into us dating, I remember I got home from a long shift. I had worked at Wilson's Leather, then went straight to Walmart, worked all night cuddled in the bed and he was like, hey babe, I have, a, I have a spider bite. And it looked bad, but not bad enough to do anything. And then two hours later, he woke me up again and was like, no, and I look at his face and it's swollen, bad. Um, so we're driving to the hospital in my car. At that point, I was a severe insomniac. Um, yeah, for, uh, I didn't think to put gas in my car, so he overexerts himself, pushing the car off the road and goes right into a partial seizure. Um, I had never seen one of his before or anything else, so I called 911 right away. Hey, there's a six foot four white male here having a seizure. I need you guys to come and give him assistance. They're there. We go to the hospital for six hours. We come home and I was telling my mom the whole thing at his house and she said, what did you say? I'm like, I don't know what I said. What did you say? She was like, your little sister needs help. I'm like, my, Samantha needs help? Samantha needs help? Samantha needs help? She's like, yeah, Nicole, Nicole. She needs help writing an S. Samantha needs, Samantha, Samantha, Samantha. And then boom. Um, I had a massive grandma. All she could hear was my ex and his mother screaming my name. He picked up the phone and said, I'll call you right back and hung up and they called 911. Now, <clears throat> I wake up in the ambulance and I don't have any memory of any of that. I think I'm still waiting at the side of the road for the ambulance to pick him up. So when I wake up in the ambulance, I'm covered in blood. 
um, because they kept trying to start IVs and I was just ripping them out and wasn't giving them a chance to bind me down. Um, so she's like, you had a seizure, I need you to calm down. And I'm like, you fucking idiot. Like, I don't have seizures. I called 911 this morning. You were supposed to pick up a six foot four white man having a seizure. How did you get me? You guys are so stupid and nothing logically like makes sense at that point. But I know that I called 911. I can't remember most of the hospital at that point. And she was like, honey, how did you get into the ambulance? I don't know, but you fucked up. <laughs> and she was like, okay, well, we're gonna get to the ER. You need to let me finish this IV. You've ripped out six of them. Um, and we'll figure it all out at the hospital. And that was my first seizure. Jesus. Um, the age range for epilepsy to occur is normally from birth, from earning 10 to 12 up, and those are both considered juvenile epilepsy. Um, and they usually go away. They usually outgrow the epilepsy. To get it at 19 puts me out of a spectrum that's really unstudied and really not thought about. So when I got to the hospital, the doctor's like, listen, you're an insomniac, you work way too much. You're not taking care of yourself. It was a fluke, it'll never happen again. Okay, I need to go home and take a nap, that's okay. And two weeks later, I had my second seizure, ended up in the ER, and he said, okay, well, you made a mistake. You have epilepsy, we're diagnosing you right now. You need to see a neurologist. And uh, that was the start of shit I was not prepared for in any way. Nobody could be prepared for that. Like, my whole concept of life was fixing people, saving people. I was the badass that showed up when people are bleeding, not breathing, and I take care of it. I can't even remember what just happened. What do you mean I was in danger? Um, that was pretty heavy stuff. And then a week later, the third one happened. And then a week later, they started me on medications. And then kind of flashing forward, I would learn five, seven years down the line that the medications are so much worse than the seizures. <laughs> so let me pause you for just a second, because, so you were 19 when you were first diagnosed with this. Yes. What, I mean 19, that's supposed to be, you know, not necessarily the height of your life, but man, you, you're riding that train, you know, you're, you're on your way to what's supposed to be the, the prime of your life, the best times. And I was the conductor of that bitch. Like, I was all about, like, not leading the populations, but getting there myself. Like, I had it. Yeah, so what crosses your mind when they say, we fucked up, this is what you have? Like, what kind of, what is your, what's your thought process like for that? Right after that, when I said they're diagnosing me with epilepsy, and they said you need to find a neurologist, I really did assume that the minute I found a neurologist, he would have an answer for me, he would have a treatment and a cure. Um, because that naive at that point, I thought there was a cure to epilepsy. <clears throat> In any medical dictionary of epilepsy, there is no cure. There is no fix. There's treatments. There's things you can do to prolong it. Um, there's no cure. You're always epileptic. It becomes about managing it, not curing it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but... 70% of epileptics find a medication that works. It might be the first, second, or third. 
medication all linked together, but it generally will work and help people find a suitable way of living life. So, so, so you so at this point you're going through this period of all right. Well, it, this is no big deal. This sucks, but th there's something to 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 fix this. Right. At what point did you realize? No, there is not something that fixes this. I wish it would have been like a quicker draw to that. Um, the problem is, is that I've been on over 14 different anticonvulsants. <clears throat> Any FDA-approved anticonvulsants besides phenobarbital and dilantin, which are both over 100 years old, have the worst side effects. The meds that I was on, at one point I was on five different anticonvulsants, two antidepressants, three anti-anxieties, three times a day. Um, my ex, because he believed he knew what caused his epilepsy, um, he refused to take medicine right off the bat, but I didn't, I wasn't doing cocaine. I wasn't doing this and that then. Um, there has to be a, a medical way to fix this. So for the first three years, the biggest problem was, okay, Nicole, we have this medicine for you, but you're not insured. Um, so it's gonna be about $800 for this. It's gonna be about 550 for this. And if you really want to add this, it's going to be another 600. It's My mine. parents, I have no idea how they helped me through that without filing for bankruptcy. Um, I did not expect at that point for seizures to last as long as they did, but I did not expect um, to be able to qualify for disability or that that would be necessary to save my parents from losing their house. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of deep things in there that had to be considered where my biggest problem was is I didn't find the right house I was gonna live in. And, right. and this, yeah, it just really threw a wrench. It wasn't, but I, I still think at that point I had faith that they were gonna find a med. So I went along with it. So there was a solid five years from 19 on where I really did think that we would find that medication. So I let them overdose me on all these medications. All of a sudden I start having different types of seizures. Um, my, the seizure that is natural to me that I've had from the beginning, if I was gonna start having it right now, it would start very much like staring through me. It would be, I would start pointing and spinning and I will knock anything out that's in my way. Um, I've had quite the amount of injuries from this and whatever, and then falling on whatever I'm standing near. Um, but all of a sudden I would start, hey, how are you, Jordan? How's life going? Jordan, I can't move. Jordan, it's okay, Jordan, I can't move. It'll be over. I just can't feel the complete right side of my body. I can't let go of the cup. I can't tell this side to help that side. It's, you're consciously still aware, but. Um, it's like someone takes over driving. Yeah, 
I started significantly losing weight, which right after I started having seizures and I was dating my ex because of how his seizures started, people were starting rumors everywhere about me doing cocaine and crystal meth and all of these horrible things that would cause she's an alcoholic and all. They're not fortune tellers, right? <laughs> At that point, this was not the case. Uh, it almost would have been better if it had been. Jesus, absolutely. Jesus, the brain can repair right. what's broken. The problem is, is that my brain is not per se broken. It's just got the wrong programming. And I, I lost hair. I would get horrible rashes from things. Um, there's a drug called Keppra, which is nicknamed Keprage to all the patients that take it. And I mean, you think of like the nightmare woman on the rag, <laughs> raging and raging, maybe even alcohol infused. Like I take one of those and, and it got bad. Um, I did apply for disability when I realized I, I still thought it was going to go away, but I, I really truly thought a cure or a treatment would happen. Um, <clears throat> so it took me three years to fight for disability and pay whatever money I didn't have to fight the disability, which would be reimbursed when they win my case, blah, blah, blah. Um, I had to reapply. Actually, you have to apply three times before a lawyer will even take your case. You have to be denied from the government three times before you can even, you can't just go straight to a lawyer and have them fight your case. Right. So from 21, it was about 22, I got approved for disability. And so they approved me for the whopping $700 a month. Um, Which is just a fraction of what, what you are hemorrhaging for these medications. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but with that came dis or, uh, medical insurance. I have full coverage medical insurance, Medicare, Medicaid, um, which works with some specialists, works doesn't, you know, insurance. And of course, a lot of these people have complete shite reviews. Right. And then I think after probably four years, um, my psyche was not was deteriorating very quickly. It was getting pretty bad. Um, things with me and my ex weren't working because I'm like, there's no reason we can't conquer this world. Me having seizures and this and that. Like, you get a better job, I'll do something somewhere. And and he wasn't as motivated to live the life that I wanted to live. So I broke up with him. That's a, I want to pause for just a second because I feel like. That says a lot about your determination. You were basically handed a pamphlet that says, here's a bunch of things you can't do. And on top of that, here's a bunch of things that you're now going to deal with oh, yeah. for the foreseeable future. So, oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, driving out of the question, right? And I was a driver. Like, my parents never knew the extent of when I got my first Cutlass Supreme Oldsmobile. I was driving that shit to Miami almost every weekend just so I could sleep on the beach and then drive home just because I could. <laughs> this is when I'm 16, 17. Like, I loved driving. I loved going. I, I always wanted to lead in the moments of chaos, but I wanted to do my own thing when I could because I could. And well, I felt at that, that, that age, too, that's like the ultimate freedom. Voila. It, it, the door has opened. 
you know, the, the, everything is cascaded to the side. I am, I am Moses right. on my way wherever I want to go. Um, the problem is, is then I broke up with him and then moved back in with my parents. And the, the idea of how much my check brought me started to eat at me because now I can't move out. You can't live on disability. <laughs> There's no way to live on disability. Not by yourself, but then it was, but you can't live by yourself, Nicole. Somebody's gotta be there to know if you got out of the shower. Nicole, you can't cook that. I sucked at cooking, but I can make some mad frozen pizza. And um, I actually did get a room in my friend's trailer and was living it up like it was my castle because it was somewhere to go. And one of the worst side effect seizures I had was pulling the pizza and chicken nuggets out and now I can't move. And now I'm shaking the hot pizza and the chicken nuggets all over myself. And I watch it burning myself and I can't move and I can't scream really. Are you able to feel the burns as they're happening? Or no. Is that, no, you don't feel it. You don't feel it till after. So then it's kind of, it's kind of like watching something from somebody else's perspective. Absolutely. You're completely disconnected from all Absolutely. the nerves. The partial seizures to me are so much worse than the grand mal seizures, the traditional seizures, um, because the 90% of my grand mal seizures, I forget up to a half hour before and a half hour after. And it's just like I was asleep and then I'm back up trying to do what I was doing. Um, the seizures are absolutely the easiest part of having epilepsy. Talking to doctors all the time, trying to trust the medical field as much as the doctors are gonna save my life, right? Um, but then I would have seizures after I'd broken out with my boyfriend and my little high school sweetheart and it would be like six months later and I'd come out of that seizure at the hospital which my mom just had to carry me in. I got blood all over my face. Um, and I'm like, I need my phone. Cause my reaction for the first four years was to call him. Right. And I do call him and I'm like, hey, you have to come to the hospital. And he's like, we literally broke up months ago. I haven't talked to you. But in my mindset coming out of that seizure, I couldn't remember that. So you're losing huge chunks at that point then, too, oh, yeah. at least temporarily. Oh, temporarily, absolutely. Um, and then you're getting fat, you're getting skinny, your skin is going to shit, your hair is not as thick as it was. I mean, I have a lot of hair. For me not to notice it's it's getting thin, right. that was a lot of hair. I was, um, at one point, a doctor suggested to test me for premenopause because the... Uh, Lyrica, I was on. They were worried that it was sending me into premenopause. Um, forgetting to take medications, like when they set you on a regimen of medications and you miss one, and you know that you're gonna have a seizure because you fucked up and didn't bring that camping with you, you dumbass. Uh, yeah, now we're talking like four or five years in, and that's when the walls started closing in. Um, I was much less anxious to come out of the house at all. <clears throat> the people that did love me and do the, the best to be around me and support me 
couldn't understand. And what I didn't realize then was I was losing my ability to understand them. You know, my friend would call me and be like, hey, I got a flat tire today and and it was horrible. I, I was late to work. I had to call my husband and uh, he had to come fix it for me. I was still to work on time, but I mean, it was just so stressful. And I'm like, do you have any idea what it's like to wait for somebody to show up so you could take a shower safely? Um, because my nickname for the shower is Death Box. <laughs> I mean, when you think of the house and everything in it, where's the scariest place to lose complete control? And when I have seizures and men never like to hear this, I am stronger than you in that moment. I promise if you try to restrain me like most people want to do, you're either going to break my arm or I very easily am going to break your arm. It's like a woman lifting a car off a child. I'm getting everything my body has in adrenaline <laughs> and I'm going to use it all. When I come out of a seizure, it's flight or flight. Um, I have punched people. I've specifically told people, do not hold my hand during a seizure. And my, my poor girlfriend, I fractured three of the bones in her hand because she wouldn't let go. Her boyfriend had to pry my hand off of hers. Um, and after a certain amount of those events start building up, you just don't want to be around people and risk it. Right. Because, okay, so I have an idea it might happen three to five days. That's a very... It's a broad spectrum of time. And that's, you know, there was times that it was happening twice in one day or the very next day. That was just kind of the general consensus of the pattern. Um, and yeah, my, my psyche was completely deteriorating through all of this. Uh, somebody that I love and care very much wanted me to be the maid of honor at their wedding. And, um, you know, you can be the maid of honor. You're my best friend. We are best friends. Could you sit down at the back? At that time, I couldn't even, like, consider why anybody would, but it's your wedding. It's your special day. It's right. so likely I could have had a seizure with all of that stress and craziness. Um people all the time telling you that, hey, I'm gonna pick you up and I will drive you anywhere. People have their own lives. Their own lives that I'm intensely becoming more and more bitter and jealous of. Um, I, I was losing a battle that I'm not even sure I understood. <laughs> uh, it was just again and again. And then you would feel positive and like, no, no, epilepsy is not gonna win around me. And that's when I started the Epilepsy Foundation. Um, and then I would have another seizure and back then the seizures were bad. Some of the seizures would keep me in bed for like three or four days because it is the exact feeling of whiplash in the car. Now you can't look that way or this way. I have absolutely no sensation on the right side of my tongue because I put it. Oh, wow. Wow. So many times that there's just no more nerve endings over there which makes me really pissed when I'm eating and I bite that side, like it's not a seizure, <laughs> it's the wrong side, you will bite the wrong, <laughs> the dead side, okay? Yeah. So, um, yeah. Shit got pretty crazy pretty quick.
Now, what age are you in and around this time? You were diagnosed at 19. Mm -hmm. Went okay-ish. This is probably during... This is probably more around 25. I know this is a terrible question to ask, but just so people have a reference, how old are you now? 30. Okay. So, not really, not all that long ago. Feels like a couple decades ago. And, sure. and I don't say that, like, young and ignorantly. Like, No, no. When you go through... It got so much worse. <laughs> I mean, I, I have a friend. Um, she lives uh, in Kentucky, and she has she deals with seizures, not quite in the same way that you do, or as you know, you were dealing with at minimum. I think you said like one every five days mm -hmm. without fail. She can go a couple weeks and be fine, right? And then wakes up at her desk, naked, wet, covered in blood, and one of her kids found her in the shower and just heard. You know, you know, all these, these huge convulsions. And she she's not supposed to actually still be around. Like, her and I had spoken 12 years ago, and she had been given a death sentence. And she's like, they don't know when, but, you know, and then start getting ready, kind of kind of ordeal. Uh, so I, I, I have a very, very mild understanding of, of what you're talking about. Um, fuck. See, and, and even for me, I'm sure you used to this. It's it's a lot to to try and wrap your head around the fact that you managed to. We didn't get to the next part. <laughs> Bring me there. All right. Um, yeah, because there's sudden unexpected death caused by epilepsy. Mm -hmm. Epilepsy is a symptom of something else going on. Right. Epilepsy is not the problem. No. Um, the problem is is that they can't find the problem, so they call you epileptic. Um, the symptoms that I started dealing with outside of just the psychosis the drugs were giving me I mean I got in bed for probably a year and I swear in my life I only got up to pee I mean I was having seizures so often so bad I was embarrassed I didn't have the ex to sit there next to me and say he knew um, my poor parents oh my god oh my god my parents. I mean, my my father, the man that raised me, he adopted me. He was in my life at six months years old. He adopted me at two. Um, he, I went through that whole crisis when I was younger, like not understanding love and loyalty or any of that shit. And I mean, that man that I've always tried to be more probably than my sister that is his blood. Um, I just had to be as good as him, and then all of a sudden I have this disorder, and I can't meet that that tough, strong persona that he always led me to want and need. Um, and my mom, she is just, she'll never admit it, but she's tough. Like, she's a badass. She's had things happen. And, um, but when shit started to fall apart for me, no one had any idea. You go to the neurologist and they give you this hope thing. Hope very quickly, at least four or five years in, became something very terrifying, very bad. The worst thing that I could do is hope that it would get better because the rate I was having seizures, I have scars here, there, I mean, all over the place from me trying to get up and my body is trying to knock me back down and when you're betrayed by your body not another person 
I don't even know if people that don't have some type of disability can truly understand that type of betrayal because it's not a lover, it's not a friend, it's not family, it's... I think cancer is, is probably close. Which is funny that you bring that up because one of my girlfriends at that time, or five, six years in, got diagnosed with cancer. And uh, I started to get so warped and twisted so scared and upset about so many different things. Uh, my thought process, when you're only making that much money a month and you literally at that point, you can't even work under the table because you might have a seizure, you're a liability for their medical and people don't want you working. You can't drive there, so they have to pick you up and drop you off. Like how worth you, how much are you worth to do that? Um, and, and I did everything I could on the side to try to do something better for myself. But after a long time, you start meeting people that are as sad and depressed as you are. You meet the wrong people or other alcoholics or something that you could bond with because they get that life sucks. And then that downward spiral whips quickly out of control. You fall into a trap, a people trap. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Cause I can't go up to my strong dad and be like, dad, I can't do this. Right. I, never mind. Maybe I could. I, with sincerity, I do not want to do this anymore. If the truth is, is that the seizures are never going to go away. I don't want this. <laughs> this isn't living. Like, I just want to give this back. I mean, epilepsy, and I posted it the other day, like epilepsy is not seizures. Epilepsy is your concerned parents. It's for getting medications. It's not having a way to get out. I was always, people ask me like, who who's the worst driver of all your friends? Back then, I had no idea because I was always the driver. <laughs> I didn't care how many guys, girls, or anything, like I was driving. Um, and now it's, I can with satisfaction say that everybody sucks at driving. <laughs> Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the side effects is so much worse, and, and I can't even imagine or emphasize truly how my parents must have felt watching me go through it, because to me, they're both very strong survivors, and watching me fall apart, oh, it would get so much worse, and I'm so sorry for that burden I put on them. Because the when you have a disorder, being coming a burden, or if you're even just suicidal, being the burden is like the top notch, like yeah. the big thing. And I was everyone's burden. Even the sweetest people that would do anything for you, for them to say, no, you were never a burden. Even if it's true. Because I mean, I, I've been there. I think that would probably go without saying. You don't start a podcast like this and not have been there. Even if it's true and they don't feel like you're a burden, it doesn't matter because of how you feel and Absolutely. how you perceive it. Absolutely. I explained, uh, I was talking to somebody once who, uh, they didn't understand the uh, the desire or or, or the, the feeling of, I want to commit suicide. I, I want to end it. And he asked me, he said, I know you've been there. You explain it to me. Is that okay? It, the simplest answer is that hopelessness is in some ways, for most people, 
the worst feeling in the world. You can say, I have this terminal illness and there's a 5% chance that I'll make it. You latch on to that 5%, but you don't feel like that when you're in that mental state. And what's even worse is you can sit here and you can, you can logic it away. If I hang out in a couple more days, if I, just, if I just change my mindset, if I get around the right people, if I focus on this, I'll feel better in such and such amount of time. And it's true in most cases, and you know that. But then you say, fuck, it might come back. It will come back. I'll have another bad day. I don't want to do that again. And, and, and what nobody really seems to understand is that the logic is sound. It's not a psychosis. It's not something you're making up. Everything makes perfect sense, even after you get out of that, even when you're feeling better. Mm-hmm. You can look back, though, and say, yeah, but that shit's all true. That shit's all accurate. Right. And Absolutely. So by having people who say you're not a burden, they mean it with the best of intentions, I think. Right. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because you feel like a burden. So I I get that 100%. Um, One of the worst and best conversations I ever had was with my friend who was dying of cancer, which they, they found the cancer when they found out she was pregnant and she went for her first ultrasound. And... They ended up telling her, hey, so you either have a couple of years to live if you terminate the pregnancy or you can carry through with the pregnancy and your child will live. I remember being called to a table so it could be explained to me and I I was in such a crappy place myself like... I remember I was probably, for once in my life, the only person at the table that did not have an opinion because she chose the baby. Um, and she had the baby. She had a premature, but he's healthy. He's my, oh, I love this kid. And um, one of the more ballsy statements I had with her when she only had like a week left, so I actually went to her and I was like, I have a secret. I'm so jealous your pain is going to end where I just got a lot of verification saying that (laughs) I got years and years to go doing this and I'm jealous of you. (laughs) I am so jealous of you. And her reaction was so earnest and and beautiful in the way that she just said because you didn't make it there yet if there's a reason you have to live further you're gonna figure it out but you're not allowed to die right now i spoke at her funeral i've known her since i was seven years old uh her brother is my best friend to this day um Even having all of that on my mind, that's probably around the time that my shit spiraled out of control. That's when I stopped taking the medicines that were causing me so much pain to find (laughs) painkillers. To find anything that could get me to escape from the bullshit that was going to happen either way. From the time I was... I had one drink on my 21st birthday, but from 19 to like 26, I never had any alcohol at all. I had one shot on my 21st birthday just cause. Commemoration. Right. Um, 
And I never really did become a big drinker out of that. But I was going to find anything else that would take the pain away that no one else could. So then started the a variation of the chapter you'd already been on, but probably in a very, very different direction. Very, very different direction. I didn't give, because all of the medical answers that I explained it to me is that you're gonna do this the rest of your life and it might get better, it might flop back and get worse and whatever. I knew that I hadn't been drinking, but they're like, you must be a drinker. I'm like, mm, I'm not. I'm still having the same amount of seizures. The only thing that ever caused more seizures is the pills that you prescribe me seven, five at a time. Um, just fuck you. And, and then I really just started to go dang. It, it got really bad. All right, so bring us down there because I think that even, even if people can't relate to, you know, the aspect of the seizures, everybody at some point, if you live long enough, will probably have a, you know, even if it's mild in comparison, a spiral down period of their life. I think um, I wanted to hurt myself. I was, at certain points, I was angry at other people because I was so bitter, so jealous, so rancid and toxic to anyone around me. Because people would come, I remember the one conversation my girlfriend came up, she was like, I just had a crappy day. I got a flat on the way to her job. She was a nursing student. She got to finish school because she was healthy. Um, and, and I was over an hour late to my second day of work, but her loving husband went to her to pick her up. And, and she was worried that she wasn't going to be able to pay her first month's rent on this beautiful five-bedroom house that... We were kind of in the same league at one point, and and every everything that she said pain-wise, I could not emphasize emphasize with at all because everything in life was a betrayal. So <laughs> life was just rubbing it in my face how bad it got for me. Well, it sounds like, from your perspective, it was like somebody who lost a toe complaining somebody who lost a leg. Absolutely, absolutely. Not even a toe, maybe like a quarter a nail. Uh, so that was my perspective on a lot of things where I had a real group of people that fought to keep bringing me out. They knew I would only stay out for like 20 minutes, but they felt it was very important to keep bringing me back out into life. Um, but my anxiety, I had never had anxiety before, but around this time, 25, 26, anxiety before I understood it started building. Right. I knew depression from middle school, all that crap, but anxiety, sitting here looking at you like this and my brain is just telling me all the things wrong and gonna go wrong and everything's never gonna be better and 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 while i'm sitting here smiling like in one of our texts back and forth we're talking about like what's dating with epilepsy like it's really hard to be like i'm nicole and all the voices in my head are telling me and you suck and you hate him because he's got a job and that car really worse than the last car you had but you can't have it so i guess it's better and um all these different sides of myself started coming out that were absolutely awful um 
Now, do you feel like these sides were a correlation with the medication, or was it just the manifestation of all the frustrations? I, I don't think that they actually left me on any of the medications, except for the one, Tegretol and Keppra and uh, Lamictal. Those three, they kind of swapped out with others to see if it would work better. Um, Tegretol, I could not have my skin exposed to 20% of sunlight at any time. We live in Florida. Right. The only thing I do is hike and go to the beach. Now I have to dress like... Like it's winter. Like it's fucking winter and, uh... Yay. <laughs> what would happen if you were exposed? Well, I had a great experience of that. I was at my friend's back porch and I was pretty much covered leggings and, and uh, like quarter sleeve shirt on. We were out there for an hour just talking about life. It was actually a really good day. And as I'm looking at her, I'm kind of doing this. And she's like, are you having a seizure? I'm like, no, oh, I'm just following you. My, my eyesight literally tripled. And by the time she called and my mom got there, I couldn't walk to the car. Um, Tegretol stores in your liver. The sun exposure causes your liver to release more of the Tegretol than is supposed to happen. So even though I was doing nothing wrong, my body was internally overdosing. I could not, it was a wood deck and to get off of that deck and come down, I, I mean, I pretty much had to shut my eyes and just trust whoever was talking to me. Um, I remember a doctor at an ER gave me a uh, uh, muscle relaxer, but it didn't. He didn't look at my medical scripts enough to know that now I have full paralysis waist down. I'm walking and all of a sudden I fall down and then my ex's mom runs out, what are you taking? What are you doing wrong? And I'm like, no, I took a Soma. I was prescribed the Soma. I couldn't feel anything from my hips down and it took about six hours for my leg feeling to come back. Um, when you're on that many medications, you can't just take cold medication. You can't take cold medication at all. Um, anytime my husband gives me a bad look now because he's all natural all the way about taking cold medicine, like, for once in my life, it's actually pretty safe for me to do this, so... Yeah, let me enjoy this. I'm gonna get rid of this cold the, the cheap and easy way. God. Um, so, when you make that little money a month, and you don't want to live with your ex-boyfriend because you're trying to progress somehow, some way. You end up living with a lot of shitty and shady people. You end up paying anywhere that you can afford. And then it got to the point where I was in a place I could afford. I was pretty much slave laboring it, working for free because we're using the rest of my money for painkillers. And uh, seizures hurt. Um, my seizures are actually very good now, but uh, most of the seizures I had, I had to have a walking cane. Because your muscles are so tight that you can't just go to the refrigerator. <laughs> uh, 
And then you start to think you're healing and all of a sudden you wake up and you've got the sensation of blood in your eyes is so natural to me. <laughs> For busting my forehead and everything. Um, I was telling you the story about my little sister coming home to my dad, chasing me around the living room. I have no idea how that felt to her. She already had a hard enough time dealing with seizures. She's got like a psychogenic shock syndrome. Um, I got hit by a car, she passed out. <laughs> I I got impaled by a bicycle, she passed out. She can't deal with other people's pain. Okay. Uh, so seizures for me are very difficult for her on a different level. Not to make you repeat yourself, but because we had that, because you told me that story when we weren't filming, right. would you, you know, remind rehashing that, so? Absolutely, so. My poor little sister comes in the room and we're running around and my father is chasing his adult daughter around with her shorts, uh, just begging her to put them on. And I'm literally like, it's, it's a game of tag. So finally my dad gave her my shorts and went and closed himself in a room. Um, and the only thing I remember is put these shorts on Nicole and I'm like, Tch. I have shorts on, retard. She's like, okay, where are they? I'll take those. <laughs> um, my family has seen things of me. You should never have to see of your daughter or sibling. And I think that all of us experience some part of that in any part of our growth together as families. Um, my mom starting to see me hate myself. I have no idea what that felt like for her. Um, I was in a household for five years, which was not a good environment for my sobriety, but I was accepted and my behaviors were accepted, so it was okay. Um, <clears throat> this led to me getting arrested in the midst of all of my other drug abuse and self-loathing, all that crap, I uh, was having a bad day. <laughs> That's a mildly uh, underwhelming way to put it. Well, I didn't know how much worse it would get. <laughs> so things continued to progress from there. So in the midst of my like, it was a bad day. I should, I had no reason to be out in public at all. Uh, I was fighting with like six people at the same time. I was upset that this person wouldn't come pick me up because her kid was sick. I was upset that this happened. Like, it didn't matter. It didn't matter what anybody else was going through. It just mattered that I couldn't get where I was trying to go. Um, because when you're that depressed and life is that pitted against you, you can't see other people's pain scales and- It doesn't matter if it's not happening to you. It doesn't click. It doesn't click at all. And, and because I knew I was a good person, I couldn't even understand that concept at this point. But I went to Walmart um, with somebody that I was arguing with because he was the only one that would give me a drive. I took a can of air duster, walked straight into the Walmart bathroom and inhaled the entire can and passed out. So I wake up to being handcuffed and brought to the security office. 
and they're letting me know that they are going to charge me with petty theft. Even though it's under $5, I passed out in their bathroom, so they're going to use that against me. I mean, in their defense. I, like, I, yeah, yeah. no, in retrospect, I have no problems with how Walmart handled that. No problems at all. Um, I was calm and respectful all the way to the jail. I was through going in and getting in my first holding cell. They had a, a prostitute, uh, Roundup or bust. Oh, like a sting operation. Yes, for yes. <laughs> so you so were an interesting me. company. So it's me and like fifty other prostitutes, <laughs> and they're like, "What are you in for?" I'm like, "I huffed. I passed out." And then I started to feel funny. Um, I don't generally get auras about my seizures. It's a very, very rare occasion where. Usually I try to ignore it because it's just a sensation that's out of nowhere, like whether it's water rushing from one side to the other or tingly feelings when you're sweating balls. It's, uh, I remember telling one of the girls, like, something's wrong, I need my meds, which I wasn't taking, honestly, at that point. I just wanted something to try to help what was coming. I knew it was coming. I went to the door, I told the, the CO, like, hey, I am severely epileptic. I'm sorry I fucked up, please. Um, and then I had a seizure. And I actually have the video of it um, when I woke up and I'm being pepper sprayed and picked up by my limbs and Velcroed to a board and they pepper sprayed me again because I wasn't being compliant and the whole time I'm screaming that I don't know what's going on. And uh, they're going on about how they're gonna press charges for felony battery against law enforcement. We're gonna do it twice, you got two of us. Um, when was this? This was about five years ago now. Um, <sighs> So I don't know the legal process at that point. I was, you know, troublemaker, this, that, whatever, but I had never been arrested. I don't know any of this. So when I go to my arraignment, I'm like, judge, like, this is a problem. Your officers beat me for nothing. The video I have is like 16 minutes long. Um, my parents will not watch it ever. Um, I've watched it twice since I've had it for the last five years. and. It makes me sick. Uh, I did something very wrong. I should have been arrested. Um, what happened to me in jail was very wrong, but will always be justified from the other side. Of course. So I ended up in drug court for a year for air duster. Um, I have to go to probation, drug court, and rehab. Um, which everybody in any of those programs is just trying to figure out when they can get their next hit fix or anything else. So that was funny because I think at that point I started to recognize that something was wrong. I had a group of friends from high school up that we were always doing what was wrong. But this was just wrong. Like it was wrong. I wasn't all by choice how all this happened, started, whatever. 
or at least in my mindset then that's how it felt um I certainly didn't bite someone's wrist and kick them in their knee out of savage behavior. Their thing was is that I faked a seizure so I could attack them. Um, it took me a year to fight that. And I actually never did get my like good day in court where I was set free. After a year of all of the drug probation court and everything else, I just said, fuck it, I will plead no contest, just get out of my life. Um, but I, I mean, I have this video, I can't watch it, it's just horrible. This poor girl. Oh, this poor girl. Now when you watch something like that, does it even, does it even feel like you that you're watching? Like when you watch this later, like, you know, you're going to be watching yourself. It'll be obvious that you're watching yourself. But that disconnect that comes from the seizures, does it feel like you're watching you? Yeah, because I remember being pepper sprayed. God. I carry pepper spray everywhere I go. I've never used it on anyone, but I didn't realize it sucked that bad. And then they're, like, in your face screaming at you, like, drill certain... Blink! 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 And I'm like... I literally cannot open my eyes. I'm willing them to open, it's not happening, and I mean like the... Oh, so they can try and pepper, pepper you again. Oh, yeah. They have their billy sticks out, like, I mean, any prison war movie you see where, like, shit's going down, like... This video is pretty bad. It's pretty bad, and, and I would never let my parents see it, because I can't even imagine... No, that would be... Unforgiving. Now? Okay. As unforgivable as that was, the problem was is that it fueled my fire to be unforgivable. The truth is, is as humiliating and degrading that was, when I got out, I continued or maybe mastered my being a dipshit. Now I know the world doesn't know me or understand me and it doesn't matter. The world is against me now. And shit really went bad after that. It did and it didn't. Okay. So shit really started going bad. But on the flip side, when I got out of jail and I first went and faced my mom. Because I, I had a rule growing up. Like, I don't care. Whenever I get put in jail, I know I'm going one day. You don't call my parents. Right. I will sit there for a fucking month. I'm okay. No, they all called my parents. Um... And my mom said, listen, I can't help you anymore. We're going to go online and either you pick a therapist or I am because I'm worried about you hurting yourself further. And that at that point was one of the most worse things, but most needed things ever. So I did continue being a dipshit, but a week later after I got out of court, right in the middle of all the probations, I started seeing my therapist. And, and to this day, I still go to see her. But she actually really truly got to see like the evolution of how good and bad and all this went. So it was kind of like a I don't want to call it an intervention, but for lack of a better term, it was kind of like a, a mild intervention. We see where this is going. It was a mild intervention. Um, 
it wasn't as bold as most interventions are. Like you do this or you don't. Right. Um, this was, because my mom, even was telling me today, she was, I, I, just, I remember you asking me a question and when you asked me, I cried. And she said, I was trying to understand anxiety. I've never had anxiety. I see you in pain. I see you suffering, but I don't know what racing thoughts mean or any of that. And we were having a good afternoon, quiet, everything. You're just quiet, Nicole. Um, are you having anxiety right now? And I remember turning and looking at her and just, yes. <laughs> like, yeah, it doesn't stop. It doesn't go away. It doesn't go away. <laughs> it's there all the time telling you it's not good enough. You can't take a shower. You can't cook food. You can't meet new people. People that do, they're gonna get, ex people, a horrible truth is, is that people that are there to support you from the beginning, they, certain people will get tired and need a break. And at this point in my life, I don't judge that at all. I think that's necessary for their mental health. I appreciate everything they did to contribute to it at that point. Um, but when you're watching somebody sabotage themselves as bad as I was, I don't blame anybody for needing to take a step back, but I'm eternally grateful for the people that stuck it through. So then it sounds to me like where things slowly finally started to turn, not turn around. I mean, there is no turnaround. You know, there, there is no, obviously there is no going back to, to 18, you know, 19 before the diagnosis. But as far as your, your, downward spiral it sounds like things kind of reached the rock bottom right around the time when your mom said therapist you pick or we pick yeah i think it's interesting because i don't think that my rock bottom or my because the minute my almost rock bottom happened was about the time that i started asking what if instead of what is like what if things could be better instead of just the way things are, are the way they are. Um, I think a lot of people miss these cues because they don't realize that it's not just like, oh, I woke up and I want to be clean and sober and do things right, so I will. It's not like that. I say that when I got out of jail and I went through that year of drug court, I was a dipshit because I was doing drugs the whole time. Every test that I took, I faked in one way or another. Everything that I told everyone else around me, I, when, when the, I have this big thing about demons, monsters, and ghosts. And this is the period of time where I was truly trying to warp myself into the monster. My demons were egging it on, but I was lying. Uh, not not big in any way, but I stole. Um, and I had my epilepsy and my pain and my seizures and this and that, and I can't drive, I'm stuck in the house. I had all this, what seemed like excuses, which are absolutely not excuses. Um, because when you're that in the midst of despair, you feel 
like you're special somehow in your pain and that is probably the worst conclusion any addict or pain depressed person can come to if you think that your pain is special above or beyond anybody else's you are on the road to fail and i absolutely was how long would you say if you were to kind of total it up how long would you say you spent being an addict Easily six years. And when you compare, it's kind of a tough question to phrase. It makes more sense in my head than it'll probably make as I say it. But when you compare, if you if you separate, you know, the epilepsy and the pain management from the addiction. So if you no longer treat them as as one, you know, uh, one solid entity, and you separate the two, what? What would you say the biggest struggle was? Like stepping away from the addiction or being able to separate who you are as a person from the ailment of, you know, epilepsy? Um, Epilepsy was my demon. Or that was my king demon. Epilepsy was something that I think in my heart, I truly felt like I would have forever. And to this point, I have it today. Um, no, I mean, the worst decisions I ever did was getting on drugs and it started with painkillers, but it got harder and harder and dirty and dirtier the drugs. I mean, I can honestly say that I haven't done three drugs out in the street right now. I did everything I could to get away from my reality um, possible. I did not want to be there anymore. So it was an escape or an attempt Absolutely. to escape? No, it was an escape. I, at that point in time, just talking four or five years ago, like I didn't deal with anything. I ran from it, hid under it. I did anything to get around it. I lied through it. Um, no. I think that's something that people that know epileptics or know anybody with a disorder, know anything that they can't just fix by going to therapy needs to be aware of. When you can't hide from something that your body is betraying you, mm-hmm. you will find a way to hide. So then what would you say was the big catalyst for, uh, I mean, there had to be a certain level of comfort associated with the addictions as an escape. Where was your big, you know, white bulb aha moment of, I'm gonna walk away from the drugs? Like, how did that come about? Because that couldn't have been an easy thing. That actually came very, very slowly. Um, That came from, when I got arrested, I knew I was doing bad things all during that year. Um, And then I started going to therapy and I remember thinking like, I had been to therapists before and this was the first therapist that I walked in and she was like, so what's your problem? And I'm like, fucking angry, 24 seven. She's like, no, you're not. (laughs) No, 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 no. You're paid to listen to me. And I'm telling you right now, I'm angry 24 seven. She's like, you're gonna come in here next Friday, right? I'm like, yeah, angry. She's like, I want you to take notes of how many times you 
smile, even if it's for a second between now and then. Because 24-7 angry, that's, that's a pretty big commitment. I'm like, no, fuck you. You will listen to me. I'm angry 24-7. And she's like, okay, I'm not arguing that. I just want the data to confirm that. Um, and then I would go back a week later and be like, so I fucking hate you. Uh, I smiled twice. Maybe three times. <laughs> like, um, she was awesome in the way that we're past therapists were like, you're an addict and you need to get clean. She was very worked with me and let me figure out when I was an addict and when I needed to get clean. The best thing that I've done for myself was when I got out of jail, my mom pulled up and she was, did the whole pick a therapist thing. Um, I am so lucky that I picked this therapist. And if other people are out there trying to find a therapist, you don't chit chat or divulge your secrets until you find that connection. Like any other relationship, best friend, boyfriend, parent, like you need a therapist you can tell everything to. And my poor, my poor therapist, <laughs> I have told her everything. It's funny too, because I know people who've had experiences with therapists and kind of like, you know, in a way, what you're saying, the first handful never did anything but open up a can of worms. Right. Eventually, they maybe found one who not maybe didn't necessarily fix anything, but it helped them help put them on the path to being able to maybe fix right. it themselves. But the fact that we have licensed people out there who can say, I'm here to help, but I'm probably just going to fuck your shit up worse. is really troublesome to me. And I know that a lot of them mean it with the best of intentions. I think that I've always been looking for a fight and to fight with somebody that was like, no shit, like, we're going to get past this. I'm like, no, this is forever, you suck balls. And she's like, actually, I've never have. So maybe you should listen to me. <laughs> that passive aggressive, huh? She, she read my card and fucking worked it all the way through. And she's, around that time I got a German Shepherd named Charlie and I got Trish, my therapist, and both of those like really shook shit up. Um, and, and I think when people think of recovery, and this is very important to me because I've tried to explain it to other friends I grew up with, like, I didn't just recover. I didn't just check into rehab or anything. I considered it. I felt guilt and pain and selfishness kind of cracking at my walls. I knew the things that I were doing were not good. Right. I was doing hard street drugs. Um, I got so frustrated that I hurt myself very, very badly with a knife. And, and it wasn't to kill myself. I was clearly just trying to hurt the outside to kill the thing on the inside because I didn't know how else to do that. Like self-destruction. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean... And then, and then little things start happening. And like I said, you start to change your mindset. So what if this isn't it? What if I'm not gonna lose all my teeth and have boils from all the drugs? What if I'm not going to 
dishonor my family by when they find me, wherever they find me one day? What if I don't steal everything I see and sell it for drugs? Um, I don't think that I ever completely lost myself like I felt like I did, but I was really fucking close. Um, I was done. I was really jealous of Caitlin when she died. I wanna, I wanna touch on the addiction thing a little further because what nobody who is watching will know up to this point is that we both have a friend in common, which is how we met, which is Mike Birch. I know that you watched the episode that I did with him, mm -hmm. and he was in no uncertain terms very, you know, adamantly explained in that episode he does not understand addiction. That he's always just been able to walk away, be done. You know, I hate the way things are going. I don't want to not have money forever. I'm fuck this. I'm I'm done. And I think there's a lot of people like that. I don't have an addictive personality. I'm addicted to coffee. I'm addicted to cracking my knuckles, and maybe I'm addicted to creativity. You know, I have an addictive personality. Well, so that's why I wanted to ask for you, you know, like you said, you didn't just, I'm recovered, I'm done. You know, is it still an everyday kind of <clears throat> conscientious battle or were you able to logic Up it? Up until probably uh, maybe a year, year and a half ago, I had dreams of smoking crack every night. No shit. I, uh... I had dreams of getting caught buying any drug off the street and my husband finding, because my husband is the sweetest, most honest, has sunk pot twice in his life, but denies the second time because he doesn't remember. <laughs> uh, no, I pushed everything to its limits. I don't think that I had the attention span to be hooked on one drug. I would get tired of one and jump right to the next. Um, but I'm saying like the way that most addicts describe it, do you still crave? Like if somebody lit something up in front of you now, is there that inner demon that goes, mm -hmm. I think I would be not lying, but uh, yeah, because the dreams are still there. The dreams are still there. Um, but I actually have a lot of pride now. That's why I wanted to do this interview um, for epileptics, for drug addicts, because I have a lot of people I grew up with that are still very involved. And I'm telling them right now, like, as involved, as much as you need it. A lot of drug addicts, the way I felt about people driving cars, they were like, well, you have an excuse to do drugs. You have epilepsy. I'm like, no, none of us have an excuse. None of us have a reason that justifies it. Like people go through pain and they deal with it. You gotta think about monks sitting cross-legged on a mountain for three days. Like they deal with that joint ache <laughs> and shutting the rest of the, they're not ignoring the pain, they're embracing it. Um, everything that I've done so far, I truly feel Actually the best because I know how susceptible I would be to getting back into drugs. When I admitted to myself that I absolutely love drugs and that um, if I did it one more time, the chances are I wouldn't stop right away. Would I be taken with it? Who knows? Maybe I would have to do it four times before checking into a rehab, but 
no, I, I really feel like at this point, a couple of years later, that I'm, I'm in the midst of a solid recovery. I don't hate my life. I'm still having seizures. The keto diet has made it more easy because that's another thing that I can control. Right. Not doctors, not this, not people or their opinions. I'm controlling it and my shit's getting better. That gives me a state of bliss that no one will ever be able to explain or understand. The seizures are, are really, yeah, I think it's really hard sometimes for people to put themselves in other people's shoes, especially when it's something they don't understand. It's something I'm, I, I'm conscientious of all the time. I always try to put myself in someone else's shoes. But with the seizures, when you don't know, and I bring this up because I when, during that comedy show that we were talking about earlier, and I'll explain that in a second, I had no idea. I had no clue. So for anybody listening or, or, or watching, uh, there's been some stand-up comedy uh, in, in the family. <laughs> and uh, I always end up running the audio for these shows. So I'm there a couple hours beforehand. I set up and haul in a bunch of gear, so on and so forth, and it's fine. Um, you had gotten up to do your set. I think Which it was, would have won everything. Would have dominated all the effects. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> Definitely would have outdone me. Um, and I remember you're going for it. Everything was going fine, and then and you stop. And, you know, again, being someone who had no clue, I'm just thinking... Damn, that sucks. She lost where she was. Stage fright, yeah. It's not even stage fright. People don't understand. It's really hard to recite 20 minutes worth of laid out oh, material yeah. and not oh, yeah. tank it. So I thought that was all it was. And I very distinctly remember you saying, I promised myself that this wouldn't happen. And then I felt really bad. I'm like, oh. Then you, then you let go of the mic. And I had this moment of, God damn it, that's mine. <laughs> Oh, the bitch ruined my equipment. What the fuck? Just a brief second. What the fuck? And you step off stage, and, and I think it was your husband embraced you. Mm -hmm. And I'm really confused, and you just started to sink. And I think it was him who explained, everything's all right. She has seizures. Nobody worry. And there's this really strange feeling that overcame everybody. And I remember Mike was like, Kevin, get on there and say something funny. He's like, what? <laughs> hey, right now. Uh, fucking kudos to Kevin, because he walked up there and he just, he, he made he made it work. But nobody, and this, this I mean, this doesn't make you feel bad. You know, you've dealt right, with this for, for right, 10 years. Right, but yeah. There was nobody who was able to look away and not think, what the fuck? Is she right. okay? Right. If she, stop asking. She's fine. Right. You know, right. we understand you don't know it. Everything's fine completely changed my perspective about a lot of different... Obviously not soon enough because I made an epileptic joke 40 minutes afterwards. <laughs> and if anything really changed my perspective was when I walked up to you, apologized, and you were like, oh no, always make those jokes. You have to make if, those jokes. If it's not funny, right. it's fucking depressing. Right. Like, I do... My, my whole... If I do stand up again... Which I hope you do. I, I have to. It's all going to be fucking epileptic jokes. Before we did this and you asked me, like, is there anything I can't ask you, like, dating or sex with epilepsy? I have to tell a story. It's awful. Please do. Uh, so, for some reason, in my mindset, I remember just having sex. Like, yeah, I'm a boss. Cheers. <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. I'm going to have a seizure. I need you to stop. 
And the guy's like, no, honey, you had a seizure like 20 minutes ago. You don't remember? I'm like, so I'm good? He's like, yeah. I'm like, oh, all right. <laughs> and then after that, for days and days, he'd come up to me and tell me how I took advantage of you and I didn't mean to. I'm like, pretty sure I enjoyed it, so we're okay. <laughs> See, so this is this is where my, my really awful sense of humor is going to come out. And Good. Yeah. Good. You have to laugh about this shit. Well, as soon as you started telling the story, my, my immediate thought is that with the way everybody else around you just kind of lets you do whatever. I mean, you know, they, they, they cradle and they make sure you don't hurt yourself. Right. But there's, there's also the part of me that's like, you might as well just hold still and finish while she's doing that. Voila! I mean, like, da, 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 da. you're a sexual sex doll. I mean, that's gotta be <laughs> like the equivalent to it. What's it like not having to plug that in? Every uh, single one of my best friends, anytime I have a seizure out in public, they're gonna be perceived as the biggest assholes. Because <laughs> while everyone else is, <gasps> seizure, oh my god! They're gonna be the ones that are like, she's fine. Oh, really? She's okay. She's got a jacket. She'll tell you in about 10 minutes if she's okay. It's okay. It's all right. That was the other thing that impressed me about the show is you stayed. You finished up your seizure. Not that, I mean, not that you were the trying to finish it. The only thing I'm sad is that I didn't have the energy to get back up on stage. So I actually do have to do another comedy show to make up for that. I think that's an obligatory thing. Right. But you stayed. You didn't want to go home. You, you wanted to finish out the night. And I mean, you could tell you were exhausted. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, abs it's obviously something that takes oh, a yeah. lot out of you, but... You stayed. Right. And I, even during my absolute bombing of a routine, I'm sitting there, or I'm standing there thinking, God damn, she's still here. What a fucking badass. Jesus. I want to go home right <laughs> I now. I only go on the life to be a badass. <laughs> Thank you for verifying. Yeah, no, no, no. Next time we're going to come in with a little placard and just stick it right to you. Um, wow. I had wow. heard about a story. I don't, I don't know if it was you who told me this or if it was Mike who told me this. Probably Mike. Uh, probably. Uh, but, and, and correct me if I am remembering this incorrectly, uh, you'll probably know exactly where I'm going with it, but my understanding was that you were at a Cinco de Mayo celebration not oh. that long ago. Oh, yeah. Will you tell us about that? Cinco de Mayo. Um, I don't, okay, so a huge evolution in my life right now is going from having a seizure almost every day to having a seizure every three to five days. And then for probably the last five years, it's been every five to seven days, which actually gives me peace in a lot of ways because that means on day five, seven, maybe eight, something's gonna happen. So you're invited to the beach house that weekend. If you're invited anywhere, roller coasters or skydiving, it's on those days, probably not the best time to push it. Right. Um, which causes plenty of anxiety and depression. Sure. Um, everybody always leaves the house when you want to take a shower <laughs> on day five and seven. Um, Cinco de Mayo, we went, we're having a great time. Um, I started drinking when I got off of all of my medications about a year and a half ago. I've kind of tested them here and there, whatever, but while I'm not on medications, I don't find that alcohol causes me to have seizures like they will tell most epileptic. If you're having seizures, cuz out. Honestly, it's not increasing or decreasing the amount of seizures I have, so I can have a drink. Um, so Cinco de Mayo, we're having a great time. I was getting another mojito. We're in the parking lot, jamming away. Um, 
I think the last thing I remember is walking up to the drink stand and I had only had two mojitos and I walked up to the drink stand and I don't even, I don't think I remember getting to it. I just remember all of a sudden now I'm in a headlock. When you come out of a seizure, you are in the most basic primitive mindset. You do have no control over your actions. It, when they say fight or flight in psychology, this is the most primitive level you can get to. My buddy, you know Brian? No. No? Okay. I'm a recluse. It's shocking that we know anybody. That's together. true, probably. <laughs> um, but I went to a barber shop with him, side note, and he was inside getting a haircut. I had to take a phone call outside, which is right next to Mark's bar, sports bar, whatever. Um, I was found wandering on the street of Ridgewood. That, that's, a, that's a big can of worms. Right. So when I come to, I'm in handcuffs. And they're going inside to ask the bartenders how many drinks they serve me and all this other stuff, whatever. Because they assume I'm drunk. I'm acting drunk. Um, in EMT school, they taught us seizures, diabetes, stroke and alcohol causes the same effect to the mind, first responders most of the time are not going to take the time to recognize this. So he put me in handcuffs, he was looking for the drink source, my buddy Brian comes out, says, hey, no, and uh, they let me go, whatever. So that was actually my first response to cops and seizures, <clears throat> and then, you know, me being arrested. And then Cinco de Mayo, where I went up to the bar. Start doing that whole act. A cop nearby, a rookie, witnessed the whole thing. Tackled me, put me in a headlock. Um, my husband, my best friend and her husband were all there saying, no, 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 back off. Back off, back off, you let me go. Um, but my perception when I come out of a seizure, I really only see silhouettes. So I'm laying down on the ground, I open my eyes. I have huge male figures over me. Any female can understand how terrifying that is. <laughs> Never mind me and my primitive mindset. Like I'm going to attack and fight anything in the jail. I promise you, I went after them because that's what happens when you come out of a seizure. Anybody that's causing a threat to your personal space is, is not something I'm consciously deciding to do. It's something the officer put me back in a headlock and kept me there. Um, <laughs> later when I called the police department, you can hear all of my friends pleading with me saying, hey, you need to leave her alone. There is no reason for this. She's epileptic, she does this all the time. Uh, what really hurt me is that the ambulance that showed up was lying to my husband and saying, no, 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 we cannot let go away until you get her in there so we could take her vitals. And the truth is, is that unless, if I answer three questions clearly, anytime a cop is involved in my situation, I can deny all coverage or services provided by any EMT responder. They were lying to him and saying, 
No, we have to take her vitals first. After a seizure, my vitals are not going to be good enough. They were going to take my vitals and force me to go to the hospital. At that point, I was actually clear enough to understand that. And I said, no, you guys are liars, whatever, I'm going. I mean, these are my people. These are the people I wanted to be. And they, they're just trying to do the best job that they can. And I truly believe that to my core. Um, they see a situation, they want to fix it medically, legally, every way they can. Um, but the pressure they had trying to put me in an ambulance, that at this point in my life, I don't have to do that. I know the president, the year, and my name, you need to go away. And, um, yeah, there was bruising. <laughs> there was uh, embarrassment from the whole thing. I mean, that was good friends' reasons for us to be there and just like not someone not wanting you to be their great or maid of honor. Right. Shit happens all the time to me. When people ask me if they want to go places, not so much nowadays, but at this point when the, the drugs were the worst and everything else, like I was ruining my favorite people's best days and memories. And, uh, that's a huge burden to carry, no matter how you put it in any way. It's embarrassing. I get out and I'm starting to rip at my clothes because clothes are not necessarily the first primitive thought you have. Um, I've been naked. I've been, I've attacked and hurt people. My, uh, so I remember one of the guys I was dating that could tolerate my seizures got beat up at a bar because I had fallen down the day before downstairs. <laughs> I see where this is going. Yeah. Um, and I had two black eyes. And the bar we went into are guys that are very protective of me. They're my homeboys, everything else. I'm not going to believe that I fucking hit it on a doorknob and fell downstairs. Nobody right. would. <laughs> uh, I actually did. I would, I'm not the type to get battered without complaining about it. And uh, they kicked the shit out of them. God, man. Um, there's a lot of angles in it that's just, you can't do this, Nicole. You can't whatever. And like, I really want to do something. People are jumping at you. It's not safe. And, and my poor husband, I mean, like, so two years ago, when I knew that I needed to get away from drugs and everything else, my best friend and her husband came up with her husband, who at the time wasn't my favorite person, but I knew things were going south and they were gonna go bad. And he's like, hey, I want you to meet somebody. I'm like, mm, no, nah, I, nah. You're like, just, just once, and then you can say nah. Okay, I go to this party, we have a handshake, yada yada, continue the party in my own wild fashion. Um, and then like a month later, Hurricane Matthew happened. Oh God, that was a rough one too. And we were all <laughs> drinking at their house, so it was a rough, awesome time. And uh, he was like, hey, this is going to be your husband. And I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> um, 
And he's just the most calm person that's never had any interest in drugs. He's never been devastated. His father died. Um, but I think that's kind of the truest pain he's felt. Like, he doesn't... I think from an early age, I was feeling people's pain and it overwhelmed me. And and then when I had my own pain, like I couldn't get away from that. And he is just absorbing all of it. And maybe abnormally kind of flatlined, <laughs> but absolutely the best thing that I could have been around to completely get away from drugs. Absolutely. Yeah, I always, I, I kind of hate the phrase that everything happens for a reason because it always feels kind of like a cop-out. It's totally a cop-out. Well, I mean, I can even recognize my, my, my most immediate example that doesn't have a shit story to it is when I got my truck. Right. You know, I spent months looking for the truck I wanted, decided the truck I wanted, Nissan Titan. They have several different options that not all of them have, but I was on a pretty tight budget. So I'm looking at Craigslist and I'm looking here and I'm looking there and I'm supposed to go see this one that's just within my budget. It doesn't have all the options, but it's in good shape uh, on such and such a day. And call that day to confirm and, oh, we sold it. Fine. Two weeks later, track down another one, similar, almost in my budget. doesn't have all the options. Oh, we sold it. I'm getting, I'm getting really, I'm getting mad, man. I'm getting really disheartened. Like, I need a new vehicle, you know, and and... I'm feeling really dismayed in people because I had a scheduled appointment, you fuck. <laughs> and you sold that shit. And like three weeks after that, I mean, I'm a couple months into looking now, and I find one that has all the options I want with less mileage than any of the ones I've looked at for less price, owned by a cop who took an exceptional care of, you know, the vehicle. And he didn't sell it out from under me. So it was a moment where I say, all right, those other two trucks, fuck those trucks. You know, I got the one that I wanted. Well, Everything happened for a reason. I've never had anyone come up with an analogy that fits my husband. <laughs> is that, is that, the, that is the analogy. Yes. <laughs> so that's, what, that's what, kind of what I was going to say. I, I hate that phrase because it feels like such a cop-out. But if I'm looking at your situation, you've got a really unique, you know, situation on your hands. Not everybody is equipped to handle not even what you handle yourself. But whether, no matter how you like to put it, he's handling it with you in a different fashion. Right. But he gets a completely different perspective of it. Right. You know, and not everybody's equipped to do that either. I, I think it's, I think it's more than not everybody's equipped. I think it's probably a rarity. Oh, it is. So to have gone through, you know, 10 years of sheer hell, I mean, for lack of a better term, just based on what little hey, I know through no. this. And I think now that I am actually in a healthier place and mindset and I have a nice clean house and when I have bad days, like I had a bad week. I thought it was really almost ironic that we were doing this interview. I had, I had a week that just really bothered me. But at no point in that week did I ever think about calling the wrong people or going to the wrong, like, no, like... Recovering is all about a constant practice of progress. And, and I actually am very proud at this point because yes, I'm still having seizures. No, I'm not happy, but for the first time in my life, I'm not devastated by it. I don't need to escape from it. I have the most wonderful people 
because because my poor parent like my father he ended up having a stroke or uh ied a, a mild stroke and i don't think that he even realizes that that was like the only time he could ever actually understand my seizures he knew that while i was going through all this he couldn't just tell me to suck it up and be strong like he always had right um but it was the only time in his life that he ever got scared. For a moment, I mean, the paramedics showed up and they're like, well, who had the stroke? And my mom's like, him. But he refused to sit down because he's really, truly in his soul believes that he would never get up again if he did. Um, I think that scared him. And I don't think that he realizes that I was having my own mini strokes multiple times or at least minimum once a week you don't know when your brain is going to fail your brain is the central computer system for your body mm -hmm. your heart's important your lungs liver like but when your brain is fucking up mm -hmm. there are people because there's a concept pseudo seizure and that is pretty much a panic attack to the point where it causes physical convulsions it's not something to be undermined. I absolutely believe pseudo seizures are real. The problem is, is that they are not tracked on EEDs or EEGs. Um, I think that it is a massive panic attack caused by the fear of having a seizure. Hmm. Um, it's almost kind of like you're giving yourself the... Uh... It was like today. It was today. So the only medication I'm on right now is I get prescribed Ativan which I take very, very rarely. But up until the time I started doing keto, I was not taking Ativan or any medication at all. But in between the five to seven day seizures I was having, I had at least three times a week, it feels like water's racing through one side of your brain to the other. So when you're in line at Walgreens and your dad's waiting in the parking lot for you to just pick up those pictures, now I have to decide because everybody says, just say something. Okay, so I'm supposed to tell the stranger behind me that I might or might not have a seizure, but I'm gonna stay here because it might not happen. What does that do to him? Right. And then who's he gonna tell? And then the pharmacist is gonna run out. I've been through all these scenarios so many times where people were like, when you feel like you're gonna have a seizure, you need to get on the floor. If I did that every time I felt like I might have a seizure, I would be on the floor in every public place all the time. And, and unless you actually have to do that because you're scared. I've gone days without showers because there was no one here to stand outside the shower to make sure that I didn't crack my face open on some porcelain. Um, have cracked my teeth when you put a flashlight behind it you can see the cracks <laughs> you can see the cracks uh this tooth is significantly shorter than this one mm -hmm. yeah because i cracked that one right the fuck off on the sidewalk um it hurts very bad to have a seizure no matter how much i make it look tough to everybody else i want them to know like Seizures never feel good the next day.
they feel worse the second day because for my case, my seizures always significantly affect my right side. Um, my seizures start here in my front left lobe, um, right in between my speech and my short-term memory. That's where they want to do surgery. That's not scary at all. Not at all. Not at all. Um, so when I have seizures, it always tightens up and fucks up my right side first. You see me having a full-fledged seizure, but this side's always going to be worse. That's why I can't feel this side. I've bit that off. <clears throat> um, to give people kind of an example, do you think you could compare it to the most brutal fucking like full-body workout you could ever imagine and then I, wake up the next day? It is very much like whiplash. Just a fender bender where you can't move the next day, also, and you can't move your neck that way. You walk, like, I walked for a cane for years. You were talking about that? Yeah, like, I just. Your legs hurt so bad, you have to have some extra support, and my pride was too much to actually get in a wheelchair. Um, so you're like a female house? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Me and House could have some conversations. I, I've been binging that show again. It's a, I forgot what a great show that really That is, is an epic show. It really is. That really is an epic show. Um, so I want, I want to throw out a warning before we get to this part that neither one of us are doctors. Don't, don't come try to sue one of us. But I want to talk about the success that you've had with keto because that was something that nobody recommended. No. In fact, based on what we were talking about earlier, it seemed like people were adamantly against you even trying. Oh, yes. And it was the doctors. Why do you think that is? Like, do you think it's just that they don't know? Okay, so the ketogenic diet has been practiced for, from what I've found research-wise, because I'm a nutritionist crackhead right now, um, they were doing this shit way back in, like, the 1600s, if not before that, in, like, the Roman times. Um, but it was officially stated as the only treatment for epilepsy a hundred years ago at the Mayo Clinic to treat epileptic children and some adults. It was the only treatment they had. They had a 90% success rate. The problem is, is a hundred years ago, 10 years after all this, the industrial revolution happens. Now all of a sudden there's pharmaceutical companies. And now all of a sudden they're like, no, your kid doesn't have to eat a fat all day and everything else. Take this pill, sweetie. Take this uh, Dilantin and phenobarbital and you can eat whatever the fuck you want the rest of your life. And people did that because obviously taking a pill is much easier than changing anything else about the rest of your life. Of course. So keto was always brought up to me from the minute I had epilepsy, but it was very much scoffed at by all the doctors I talked to. They significantly said, you know, you could change your diet. Okay, so I tried. I'm 21. I am depressed and and no one's actually there to like give me the life skills of keto. So I think going to McDonald's and taking the burger off the bun is keto. And, uh... I think that's the only thing I did that time. And then five years later, I tried it again, not realizing that I was eating so much protein that your body goes from glucose to protein to fat to burn energy. So what I was doing was eating so much bacon and pork and beef and everything else that my body was 
creating that into glucose. I think my brain is very hypersensitive. I was an obvious reaction to all the medications that I was on. Um, <clears throat> my body doesn't process. I do not think sugar is a bad guy for most people. I think that sugar in my situation has always caused extreme highs and crashes and even depression. I think that like, I'm not diabetic, but I think that my brain just has a hard time. And then when I got on all the medications, it had a harder time trying to regulate that bullshit. And then I got off everything and I just started eating a high fat diet. 85% of my diet is fat. Less than 5% of my diet is carbs and the rest is pork protein. I would miss bread so much. I really don't. Really? And only because of like, okay, so I went on that cruise and then I was kind of forced to eat pizza after three months of like dreaming of pizza and pancakes and it was mm. the worst pizza I ever had. Oh no. It was, it was like frozen, glopped crap. Yeah, it was just not what I would have broken my diet for. Right. And it made such a significant difference right away. From going from five to seven seizures, all of a sudden I went from five to 19. After 19, I made it to 36. After that, I made it back to 25. Um, these might not seem that huge to most people, but when you're preparing for the seizure the next time, so significant, so... I, I literally bawled about day 36. That was huge. I was gonna say, it's been really you know, interesting watching some of the posts that you've made on Facebook, because you're not like, super cheerleader brag or anything like that, but you've been letting people know. Right. Day 20, right. no seizures for the first and time in my life. It's funny to me because the mentors that I have, they all have like type two diabetes. That seems to be getting reversed. They have other, other disorders that are not epilepsy and it seems to be figuring itself out. Well, I do not recommend keto to everybody. I told you, for weight loss, you're fucking crazy. Go on slim fast. Yeah. Um, but as far as neurological problems, I think the brain is slowed down when it's working on fat. I eat once or twice a day the same amount of calories anybody else is eating, but I spread it out. I'm not hungry in between. And I think my brain has a lot of time to process very slowly at its own pace the nutrients that I've given it. And I think that that's what my brain that seems to be hyperactive needs to spread those seizures out. It's funny that to me that you mentioned, you know, the reversal of, of diabetes because so I, I had an ex-girlfriend, she's gone now, unrelated to the diabetes kind of, um, but she had diabetes and it's, you know, it's another one of those you don't really know anything about it until you know somebody who has it. Right, absolutely. Uh, you always know cancer sucks, but right. you never understand how bad it sucks until, like in my case, your dad gets it. You know, things like that. Um, and there, I had heard uh, this year, and apparently it's nothing new, but it was news to me, that certain cases of diabetes can be completely reversed with appropriate nutrition. It goes back to stop eating processed foods, stop eating. And that's where my whole, 
I was a conspiracy theorist when 9-11 happened, but now later in life and seeing what affects me and the people that I dearly love, now I'm a conspiracy theorist against big pharma, against big fucking food industry people, um, against foundations for certain diseases. I think they do a lot of good, but I think there's a lot of crap that goes unchecked. Um, I think it's really hard to deny some of that. I think there's a, if you want to deny it, I think you can, but I think there's a lot of evidence with things like that. that there's so much evidence to it. A lot of people want to argue that our ancestors, they were eating wheats and, and grains and everything else. They weren't just hunters and gatherers like paleo claims. Um, my point is, is in my particular situation, my brain is so hypersensitive your average EEG waves would look like this. That's a healthy person. When I'm not having a seizure, mine are like this. Um, something needed to be due to sedate my brain without fucking with the chemistry so much that it would cause a seizure if I stopped taking it or cause a seizure because it's now conflicting with it. Nobody should be on five different anticonvulsants at once. Nobody. Nobody should be on that many anticonvulsants. They say after the third, the chances of it doing anything. The fact that I was so young and naive to think that that would do something. But when you're that young and naive and desperate to just get back to the life that you were going to live. I did so much out of desperation and hope. And when that crash like people all the time they I, I spoke to them about doing this interview and then they're like well aren't you ashamed of the things you did I'm like, I've written journals my whole life I know in every different journal I've written I am absolutely positively not the same person might be the same body whatever but when you're growing and learning um no there's so much you're not the same person. You have to do what works for you, not against you, not because the people you look up to the most, because when things started getting really bad, I went up to my mom and my dad and like, I don't know what to do. And they would look back at me and say, we don't either. There's nothing more letting down, and that's not anybody's fault. Shit happens. People get hurt, get sick, die, hurt each other, hurt themselves. Um, that's not anyone's fault. That's just how it goes. But when that happens to a young person that hasn't been around enough to realize the ups and downs of life, that's just a down. Why wouldn't you kill yourself? Right. And, and the point of that is, is that... You can't fall off the floor. You find security in that. You find security in drug use. You find security in the misery. You have to be brave enough. You have to be willing enough to realize that after all of this horrific shit, that might not get better. The rest of it can end. I'm not angry at the person I was. I don't hate her for hurting herself. I don't misunderstand her for hurting herself or the people around her. I get it. I get it. If I if I could go back in time, which is the only superpower I ever wanted, 
instead of like lecturing her and telling her how better I would, I would give her a hug. I would really just give her a hug. I've read all the journals of the points of life I'm talking about and, and the bitch just needed a hug. And those around that couldn't understand that hug wasn't good enough. I'm doing this podcast because if you are going through this, like, this is my hug to you. It's not easy. It's not going to get easy. Um, you're not just going to stop doing drugs. You're not just going to get on keto and everything's going to be. But the, the perception of good and evil changes so much. Like when I started to actually heal and recover and take my therapy seriously, I started to see people opening the doors and saying thank you six times. I started to see all of these beautiful things happening around me that I didn't see, I swear on my life, 10 years. I think perception is one of the most underrated you know, aspects of, of of humanity, I guess you could say. I had a friend try to tell me that reality is the lie. I said, absolutely not. Reality has to be the truth. Our perception and our concept of what's going on around us, that's the lie. If you have anxiety and depression, those are your demons and ghosts coming to tell you that's wrong. There is a yes and no in that. Um, I think it's probably safer to say that to at least some degree, reality is what you make it. Uh, I've been kind of getting into quantum science through my father over the last couple of years. Um, turns out the Matrix, maybe not quite as far off of a movie as a lot of people thought. You know, not that there's necessarily this weird war happening behind the scenes, but that, you know, science already knew that, you know, this cable, this mic stand, this table, this skin, it's all made from the same stuff. But you know? perception versus reality, how do you feel? Well, that's the thing. You know, Quantum science basically says this is all kind of not real. A lot of how we expect things to be is how they end up being. What we expect it to be is what ends up exactly. dictating what it does. Yes. Um, I was negative toxic energy and I drew people with the same energy. I drew activities absolutely. with those energies and I had no idea. I just thought it was epilepsy. Epilepsy is not the bad guy in my story. Epilepsy is not the excuse in my story. The only villain in my story I truly believe is the fact that I believed it. My perception was so warped by the circumstance. That was my villain. I, I started separating it from good Nicole to bad Nikki. Bad Nikki made all the wrong choices, all the drug deals. She did everything to make you feel better for the moment, but not long term. She's my best friend now. I don't hate her. I accept her very much. Um, I don't fight her. I don't fight any of my anxieties or depressions. I have like a little checklist. When I'm upset, why upset? This fucking sucked. How you feel? Angry and depressed. How long have you done it? About a week. Are you overreacting? Yeah. Okay, uh, do you want to die? No. Okay, we'll reevaluate this in a couple of days. Just breathe. I literally do that through every hardship now. 
and and that's so super important to me where it's am i overreacting maybe but i don't hate myself for reacting we are humans we react in in emotions and and reactions and everything else putting yourself down punishing yourself i'm never going to punish myself for all the drugs i did do I have pride in it? Do I stand by it? Absolutely not. But I'm not going to punish the person that felt she had to go there. Because the person I am right now, she's kind of the badass I wanted to be when I was 18. It's really nice to me that you point out, you know, that perspective, since we're talking about perspective. I think, I think emotions are necessary. Yeah. But I think they're incredibly dangerous. They're incredibly dangerous. I Absolutely. Think, I think that decisions when made in an emotional state are often very misleading. They're yeah. not misguided, but they're misleading. Misleading. You made them with the best of intentions, but it seems almost... Uh, That's why they say wait like three days before you actually go through with it. Well, you know, I, I like to pose an inst uh, interesting question uh, to people sometimes, which is that you know, there's a lot of people I know, especially in today's social and political climate, which I never want the podcast to become about. It's too opinion-based. But my fact, I think, or my point kind of pertains to this, which is that if you make decisions based on how you feel instead of logic, logic, mm -hmm. fact, numbers. Science. Yeah, that's really dangerous. So you are able to look back at an emotional moment, stop and say, okay, well, this is how I feel. Well, let me let me really break this down and see how do I really how how, how are things really? Well, the question I always ask people is: If you saw a drowning child, innocent young drowning child, you're the only person around, you have the capability of saving that drowning child. What a horrible position to be put in! But what if God or whatever divinity somebody does or doesn't believe in tells you explicitly or expressly if you save that child? 10,000 innocent people will die. Emotionally, you want to save that child. You're there. You're wrapped up in the moment. That child is suffering in front of you. But does one innocent child really equal 10,000 innocent lives? Logically, no. Mathematically, no. It's a tough, it's an impossible situation to be in, It's back to being on an ambulance. You have to make that decision. There's a child right there. Yeah. You could save. You have four adults right here. You know you can save. What are you going to do? The need of one never does outweigh the need of many. It really doesn't. It does when they're related to you. Sure, but that's emotional. And that is where some of the problem lies. So I say emotions, you know, they're necessary. We can't help Absolutely. but act on them to some degree. Absolutely. But to somebody in a completely different country, you know, this person's child versus this person's child, there is no difference there. But if you ask the children's parents, there's a big difference there. So I, I like that you, you break those things down in a more logical fashion. Um, how, I, I know that you said you just came back from the cruise. The food, not so good, kind of screwed up what you were doing. I messed anyway. up my diet. I'm getting right back into ketosis right now. Well, up to that point, what was your your, your longest number of days without a, without a seizure as a result of the keto? Uh, 36 days. And that was up from... What you say every five to seven days is yeah. about when you'd see yeah. it. I'd never made it a month before ever. I remember you talking about on Facebook, like within the first week or so of getting on keto, 
you were already you had already passed the point of when you would normally. When have I a first seizure. got on keto, because um, okay, so I would have a seizure every five to seven days, but in between those five to seven days, um, I would have these waves of uncertainty. Um, when I have a seizure, I don't get that moment of <gasps> I'm gonna have a seizure right now. Help me! I don't get that. Right. So. For the last like seven years, I get waves all the time that feel like seizures that never happen. So when I got on keto, this did actually cause some conflict too. Um, the waves started to disappear. But when I do get them, it's like... Oh shit. Can you imagine being in like... Bell Walmart, Port Orange Walmart, looking around and trying to fit pick the person you want to confide yeah this total stranger no. right absolutely like oh my husband ran out to the car uh oh shit these are my bunch <laughs> like two in the morning walmart that's not where you want to be when you think you might have a seizure no my dad in the car i know that if i feel like i'm having a seizure i'm not gonna make it to that car right um so many decisions that I feel like sometimes I get judged for that are not fair because people have never been there. They don't have the opportunity to... I have run straight out of the shower. I have run out of public restrooms without my pants more than I can even remember. Um, I've had bartenders refuse to serve me because they're saying I'm too drunk. No, they know I have epilepsy. And they don't want to be the cause of my next seizure, whether they know enough that it would or wouldn't. I mean, you can't really blame them for, for that's an innocent, you know, misunderstanding. Kind of, but I'm talking about the certain bartenders I know. They're doing it because they're assholes. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. My misunderstanding. Otherwise, anybody else that doesn't know me, I get it, I get it. Right. Um, I, I, there's just... Like I said, the seizures are the easiest part of having epilepsy. I go to sleep for a couple minutes, I wake up. I have to patch up whatever stitches I need. Um, it's the social constructs of it. It's the economical constructs of it. I was a very smart, motivated woman. I was going to rise to the top and rock that shit. I really would love to be like fire chief somewhere. Um, can I get there? Probably not. But now, at this point in my life, as good as I feel, it's like, what's the next mountain I have to climb? I don't want to do it for foundation. I don't want to do it for other people. I want to do it because this is my opportunity to actually do something healthy for myself after I I really did try to end it. I wanted to hurt myself. And and people in the situation, I think, do all the time. Um, I'm so glad that I got out of middle school before cyberbullying was a thing. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> like, getting a swirly is one thing. Like, having that shit posted when you get home, I have no idea. Like, I don't know if I would have survived that. Um, but I do know I'm a fighter, and I know that at this point in my life, 
I've been on the floor. You can't fall off the floor. Everything beyond this is going to be so much better, no matter what happens. Something that I think is really common among people who come out the other side of, or are in the process of coming out of the other side of, you know, bad situations or, or depression, stuff like that, is a, is a, a, like a nagging desire. You know, for some people, I'm going to stick around for my kid. Uh, for some people, it's, I'm not going to die because you'd love that, wouldn't you? You know, what would you say for you is, like, what keeps you here? What keeps you grounded aside from just... Oh, I thought about that so, so much. Um, because I think at certain points, I absolutely had the balls to end it. Mm -hmm. I had the balls. Um, I think that no matter as deep and awful as I was, as what drugs I was doing, what dirty things I was doing to get those drugs, um, I could not do that to my parents. However much they misunderstood what I was going through or tried to or anything else, like they've done nothing but do everything they could for me. I think when you have a disabled child, the rules to parenting changes significantly. Sure. Um, the best thing my mom ever did was the whole, Nicole, are you having anxiety right now? And like, I, I remember, I, I, I called her today because I couldn't remember the question, but I remember looking back at her in full tears and just saying, yes, um, yes. She's like, okay. Got arrested a week later, and then after that, she said, I cannot help you anymore. It's beyond me. We need to find someone who can. Kudos to her for recognizing that, because as a parent... I, and even when she said that today, I wanted to say that to her, but I don't think that she would take it from me as seriously. But she, she literally recognized that she could do nothing for me. She was terrified I would hurt myself. I was already in the mist and patterns of hurting myself all the time. And no, my mom is literally a badass more than she'll ever admit to herself. Like, I, I think, you know, experiences, we talk about, we've talked a lot about perspective here in the last 20 minutes. Experiences are one of those things that really alter your perspective, in my opinion. So I worked in the restaurant industry for 12 years. I stack all my plates when I leave. I know that some poor bastard has to come up behind me and pick up all the crap that I left behind. I have been that person who walks up to clean a table and there's sugar packets spewed all over the place and they rip them over and they dump the salt just because they're assholes. And I've also trained people for that job who said, man, I, I never knew. I feel like such a scumbag now. <laughs> yeah, you kind of were. Um, <laughs> I think parenting or being put in the position of being a parent, even short term, you know, a couple of days, a couple of weeks, uh, can really alter your perspective on a lot of things. So as a parent, you know, there's this, this really strong desire to fix everything for your kid and, and be there for your kid no matter what. And you know, your kid is hurting, so take the pain away. And uh, the feeling of helplessness, because for lack of a better term, that's kind of the position you know your folks were in. I think the feeling of helplessness can become overwhelming for a lot of people. 
Absolutely. I actually feel as deeply for the family and friends around somebody who is disabled dealing with anything that's similar to my mm -hmm. case. Equal to, if not more so. Um, I've seen four of my seizures plus the, the eight I've seen my body do it while I was conscious. Uh, they've seen over eight, 900 seizures in the last 11 years. I don't have to deal with that. Right. That's the one <laughs> So I'm saying, for her to go back and be like, this is more than I can do. Yeah. That, that's gotta be huge. That was, it was huge, and, and I don't even know if she knows how huge it was. I still go to that therapist to this day. Um, she is a no bullshit therapist that really, truly, I mean, I didn't start going there till after I got arrested. And after I got arrested, I was angry. 24-7. 24-7. Like, I, I don't know. Truly, I have a very hard time, like, thinking back when people told me their pain. I was it was always a comparison match of is your pain worse than mine? Like when you meet somebody that's dying and you're jealous of them, right? Your pain's pretty bad. Um, I my mom went outside of her comfort box and she really did solve the problem, whether she recognizes that or not. Well, like I said, that's a. Uh... And you know what? I, what I really just want to say is, like, I've had a really rough week. I was laughing the minute you texted me and said, let's do it this week. Like, this last week has probably been one of the more difficult weeks. Good opportunity. Yay, let's go get the Oscar award announcement for <laughs> the movie of my life right now. That's awesome. And, and then today when I was thinking about it, all I could think is, is that, I'm really actually proud of myself. I forgive myself. Um, I truly forgive myself. I did a lot of really bad things and and I'm sorry and I wish I could fix it maybe, but the me today is not that same person that caused those things. Um, I think from journal writing, I see that all the time. Like, we're not the same person. We evolve, we change. Any drug addict that's listening to this right now, I need them to understand that I've been there. I've been on drugs to the point where you're so hooked that there's nothing worse than the idea of dope sickness or not having something to fall back on. Ew, like, when you get to the day, that pain, you can recognize it, but it doesn't force you into some type of escape. Like, I made pretty good choices after, and I didn't do it because anyone pushed me to do it. They gave me the opportunity. The only reason I am where I am today is because I gave myself the opportunity to do it. If I fought it or anything else, like I wouldn't be here, I'd be out on the streets doing whatever I was doing. And I want, I need it to get better because it has to get better. We're all gonna drop dead. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
on, on that thought, uh, I like to end these, like as you well are aware, with a series of lighthearted questions. But I want to ask you two unrelated questions before mm-hmm. we get to this. The first one being, if you were able to or were put into a position to go back in time for 60 seconds, aside from giving your younger self a hug, if you, if you were told, you know, we want you to deliver some kind of, of uh, I'm making this motion like a baby, um, wisdom to your younger self. What was the motion you were making? I, I didn't see that from here. I'm just <laughs> pantomiming the birth here. Um, <laughs> What kind of wisdom would you give your younger self? You said you got you know, 60 seconds to tell yourself something. When I was 14, I was very, very clear on the idea that this too will pass. I would let her know that she was absolutely right. I like that. Um, all right, so then the second question, similar. Somebody else comes up to you, similar situation. Maybe not necessarily the seizures. Maybe it's just addiction, or maybe it is just the seizures. It says, I am this close to being done. I, I can't find anything that thrills me. I'm constantly berated by you know, the, what I consider to be the sad reality of my situation. You have 60 seconds to change my mind, keep me alive. Tell me what you did quickly. What is it? What is your wisdom to me to say, Here's why you stay. And well, what would be your advice, in other words? I waited another 24 hours. It sounds almost too simplistic, but I waited another 24 hours. And that 24 hours became another three years. And three years later, I'm doing pretty good. Okay. Um, you have kind of a Canadian accent, don't you? I spend a lot of time in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting for a more lighthearted moment to mention it. But ever since you were like, a boot, I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah. Huh. <laughs> I spend a lot of time in Canada. And I'm married to a Hungarian, so. <laughs> so, you're just so I'm like, like, what time it is? <laughs> and all my American friends are like, what the fuck do you just say? <laughs> so your accent now has just become a mutt of accents. My father's from Virginia, Baptist raised, and my mother's from the Bronx, Catholic raised. So I see where the attitude comes from. Right? <laughs> the accents and understanding cultural differences were bred right away. <laughs> when I say, like, my father's from Virginia, my mom's from the Bronx, like... You need to understand, your reason Florida is the same thing. I, I feel like you're, you're slightly worse off, I'm just saying. No, just because I spent a little bit of time in Canada and I say, right? A? A? A, S- <laughs> I actually started to drop that recently. Really? Not really. Okay. Well, Depends on how much I drink. I feel like that should be part of your next comedy routine. I swear to God, it probably will be. I mean, we're going we're gonna to loop back to this at some point. And if, if you do another comedy routine and this isn't part of it, I'm just going to clip this part. I have to say that first, though. It's just like my therapist said when I was like, no, I'm fucking angry 24-7. She's like, no, you're not. No, bitch, you're paid to listen to 24-7. I'm angry. You'll smile before the next time you come in here, at least once. Twisted or not, you'll smile once. I'm like, no, I won't. I won't do that. 
and I did. Uh, anybody that's listening to this, my story, trust me, like, I've been to the certain malfunctions, certain drugs bring to your brain, everything else. Um, a certain amount of despair that makes doing those drugs okay. Depression, anxiety, everything else. Um, it's not the end. Like when you look that the average person lives to 70 years and we're all in our 20s to, to mid 40s, that's just a part of your life. Like there's so much more to go from where you're at. I like that. So let's throw some rapid fire questions. All right. At yourself. Here we go. At you, not at yourself. Where would you like to see yourself in five years? Oi. Peaceful. I don't really care what the fuck I'm doing as long as I'm just not fighting myself or anything about myself or my situation. Okay. Uh, what do you hope to leave behind when your time on this planet's done? Inspiration. It's the last thing that made you laugh until you cried. <laughs> I'm lucky enough I'm one of those people, twisted, good, bad, awesome. I'm going to be laughing till I cry. <laughs> All the way out the door. But I want to know what the last thing was. The last thing was is because uh, my husband speaks Hungarian, so I'm constantly trying to leave dirty Hungarian notes. <laughs> of course you are. Right. So he went to Hungary for a month and then came back. So see that board over there with the words on it that you can't read? Yeah. Yeah. I put, welcome home. I want us to fuck like rabbits. <laughs> but, but I missed a couple words or couple no, letters. a couple letters. So what it ended up saying is, welcome home. I want to fuck a rabbit. <laughs> Good job. Epic. Their language is not easy. Anyways, next. <laughs> I could just see your husband looking at the sign. I did not know this about you. <laughs> right. What fetish did you come up with while I was gone? Yeah. I don't think Mr. Petman will allow us in. <laughs> if you stub your toe on your coffee table, what is your go-to string of swear words? Oh, I have so many favorites. I stung my toe. Motherfucker, Jesus Christ, fuck you, God. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> because it's God's fault that you're, you you stub your toe on things. No, I just like to yell at him for whenever I can. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I get the feeling I may actually know what the answer to this is, but it's, it's the string of questions <laughs> that I ask everybody. You can change any one thing about yourself without any limitations as to what it is, what would you change? At this point in my life, I'm not changing nothing. You wouldn't even get rid of the seizures? No. Good for you. They should they should get rid of on their own, or I'll learn to deal with them just fine. I actually feel like I have the mental capacity now to do that. That's the better answer than I could have hoped for. I'm so glad that you think so low of me. No. <laughs> I, I, I think of myself in that situation, like, yeah, get rid of these. Call it a day. Done. To me, More. that just seems too easy. Like, all of my birthday candles I've ever blown out, at no point in the last 12 years have I ever thought, no more epilepsy. The only thing that I've ever wished for at every birthday candle is peace of mind. You're a better person than I am, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> well, 
After you drink. <laughs> Name a physical sensation that you hate. Whiplash. Okay. Tell me a mean or funny prank that you played on someone. <laughs> I can't fest all those right now. They're in the midst. Doesn't have to be all of them. Just any, any, anyone that comes to mind. It doesn't have to be recent. Yeah, anyone that comes to mind. Oh shit. Oh. Not even the best one. Just the most like recent that comes to mind is I kind of untied somebody's bathing suit top at the beach and kind of explained that she was being bit by fire ants on the beach. And she kind of believed me. What a dick. <laughs> <laughs> For at least 30 yards. <laughs> oh, wow. So she's running around like this. No, no. No? She was running around like this. <laughs> yeah. If you had a choice of a theme song that plays every time you walk into a room and you would hear it too, what would that theme song be? I... It sounds so cliche, but right now I have to say Incubus. Uh, help me out. Drive. No. Wish you were here. Drive. Drive became very significant to me after I hated that song, but when I realized that whether I was actually driving or not, I I understood the purpose probably just a few years ago. He's a very metaphorical. Pardon me. Pardon okay. me. I think is something that really helped me get through it. Like, pardon me while I go do all these horrible things and pardon me while I burn. Okay. It's, uh, it's, well, that was one of my uh, earliest introductions to Incubus, actually. Like, I was never a huge, huge Incubus fan. I've got a handful of songs that I really enjoy. No, but that song says a lot for a lot of different people in different stages of life. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember when I got old enough to actually look up and understand more of the lyrics. Remember thinking, Jesus, this is somebody who just sits and thinks nonstop. Nonstop all the time. He's got that one, they've got the one song where they talk about the sky resembling a backlit canopy with holes punched in it. Mm -hmm. like, who the hell figures out a way to describe that in those kinds of words? Right. Just smarter people than me. Uh, all right, so last question. If someone asked you to name their dog and you only had 10 seconds to name it, what would you name it? Name their dog or my dog? Their dog. You're three seconds out. Atlas. Atlas. Okay. Better than the last person I asked. Their answer was bitch. No, Atlas. They uh, have the whole compass to direct. Well, I really appreciate you sitting down for this time and sharing all this with us. I really appreciate you giving me the time to share this. I'm really glad to. Anything you want to close with, say to anybody? No matter how bad it gets, I swear to God, the bottom is not. You can still go up from the floor anytime you feel like you're on it. I think that's a good way to go. Thank you guys for watching, listening, and uh, we'll see you for the next one.